0: So we're still in this last teaching of Jesus in the upper room. And what we talked about last week is if you, if you took this teaching of Jesus, this last time with his disciples in the upper room, it takes about, it's about 30 minutes. 30 minutes of conversation with Jesus and his disciples. And last week we started, we talked about joy. And see, one of the things we looked at and if you weren't here with us, we'll recap in just a moment. But, but the thing we looked at is, is so many times in our lives, things from outside of us, outside influences or pressures or events, they have a habit of pushing into our lives. And, and it kind of sometimes feels like it's knocking the joy out of us. And, and, and the key sometimes, we're only human, so, so we get hit by that, by those joy stealers. We get hit by that. But the key, see, isn't to stay, to let it push us into a rut where we so, get so deep into joylessness that we fail to see Jesus Christ pulling us out. And so we don't want to stay there. But we talked about, and I was thinking about all the different ways, the things that happen to us that can, that can bring momentary joylessness into our lives. And, and I thought of some, some pictorial, I'm going to set these up. But I thought of some pictorial ways of uh, uh, illustrating that. And and the first thing I was going to put up, for like an example of those things that can steal joy from our lives, I was going to put up the Michigan-Wisconsin score from yesterday. But uh, Ben and I have a policy of nothing vulgar or obscene up on the screen. And then somebody after the 8.30 service pulled me aside and said, you know, some of us are Wisconsin fans, so that's not vulgar or obscene. But, but the, fir- the first one is, this is a family, they've remodeled their kitchen, and they put up their cabinets, and this happened. <laughs> yeah, they were in another room, and they heard one whole section of cabinets crash down to the ground. It all collapsed and fell. Now, that can rob your joy, right? Especially after spending some time putting that up and spending the money for it. Another one was an adult guy. Uh, He traveled several hours to his parents where his parents lived to help them. He spent the weekend with them to help them clean up, do some yard work, do some yard, some, some late summer yard cleanup. And so here's what happened to this guy. Yeah, what do you think that is? yes that's poison ivy that is a joy stealer man that is a joy stealer in a person's life so we looked at that we looked at those things you can take that guy down now it's kind of gross <laughs> came close to the gross thing right there but we're still in that section of John where Jesus is talking to his disciples and as i said this is before he's going to the cross and so that that fact should help us understand the the context that's the context for what Jesus is saying to his disciples Jesus is going away Jesus is going away and he's telling his disciples life is filled with good and bad things but Jesus is telling us he's telling his disciples and by way of disciples he's telling us that that we can have joy when in all things we can have joy in all things so last week building up building through this passage last week we looked at the two first requirements for real joy. First, we looked at, you have to understand God's process. In other words, when things are bad, when you are confused at the direction your life is going, you have to understand that God knows more than you do. Amen to that, right? God knows more than you do. God is at work in your life, in joy and in sorrow. And so no matter what bad stuff happens in your life, God knows more than you do, and so God is working in your life through that. The second thing we looked at is you have to understand grief. This is really important. We looked at this a lot. Spent some time on this last week. You have to understand grief. Bad things happen in life. We we experience loss in our lives. Some of you have experienced loss, hurtful, deep, painful loss in your life. We go through pain. There is suffering in life, there is hurt. And there are going to be those times when it feels like the sorrow and the sadness are tearing you apart. Just remember that's a part of life. Grief is a part of life. You you cannot have joy without also having grief. So that brings us to our third thing this morning. Third, there is joy in life through a resurrection transformation. There is joy in life through a resurrection transformation. In verse 20, and every verse we talk about will be up on the screen. In verse 20, here's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, and what do you need to do when Jesus says truly, truly? What's he saying to you? Pay attention now. This is really important. Write this down. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy notice what Jesus doesn't say Jesus doesn't say your grief will be replaced by joy look what he says your sorrow will do what it will turn to joy as psalm 30 verse 5 says weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning. Grief turns to joy. For those of you that like to take notes, here's something you might want to write down Joy comes through substitution, not through substitution, but through transformation. Joy comes through change, not exchange. Joy comes through change. Not exchange. That simple principle will change how you see things. That point right there, that joy comes through change, not exchange, will change how you see things in your life. Think about, for a moment, people who move from job to job, they become unhappy in a job. There's no longer joy in a job, so they move from job to job. I recently talked to a young man, he's not a believer, but I talked to a young man and he had just started his new job, and I asked him, how's it going? He said, okay, and I said, are you happy in your new job? And he said, I'm never happy in any job I have. He said, I'll be happy if I win a lottery and no longer have to have a job. We know people like that. They, people like that, they, they, they do the same thing with relationships. There are people who bounce from relationship to relationship. They think somebody new is going to bring joy into their lives, and when it doesn't happen, when they're not feeling it, then they move from relationship to relationship because they can't find joy in happiness. Listen, if, if somebody is the kind of person who has to have something new on a regular basis in order to feel joy in their lives, then Jesus' transformation is exactly what they need. Let me say that again. If you know somebody, maybe that's been a pattern in your life. If you have this notion that you have to have something new in your life in order to feel joy in your life, then you need the transformation. Right there, the change-not-exchange that Jesus Christ is talking about. Because no matter how much new stuff, no matter how much new stuff you think you need to cram into your life to bring joy into your life, it doesn't last. It fades and withers. See, that is, that is the world's idea of joy. Joy. things to bring into our lives. That's the world's version, not God's. Think about, for a moment, many of us grew up with a, a certain principle. Think, think about it, and fill, and fill in the break, and the, the, the blank. A lot of us grew up this way. It was either from our families, but it's definitely in the culture around us. We grew up with the notion that what I really need to be happy is, go ahead, fill in the blank. I Or how about our variation? I will be happy when." Right? We've been there, haven't we? It's, it's either from our families of origin. We certainly hear it in our culture. I will be happy when. Most of us have had that thought bouncing around our wee little brains at some time or another in our lives. If I'm, if I'm not feeling joy in my life right now, then there must be something out there. There must be some new situation. There must be some new circumstance that can bring joy into my life. So I, so I, so I need, I need to to change my circumstances to have to have joy. Jesus is saying, here's what, Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. Remember, this is Jesus' last time with his disciples before his death. So he needs to talk to them about the true meaning of joy and what joy is all about. And so Jesus says, no, 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 that's not it. It's not, about, it's not about substitution. It's about transformation. Jesus says, your life needs transformation. See, that the fact that Jesus saves that teaching for this moment before he goes to the cross, tells us something about how essential it is. And this is this, this is the last thing he's gonna have to say to the disciples. It's really important. Think about it. Think about it this way. How long, if you remember, how long have the disciples been following Jesus? How many years? Three years, right? They've been following Jesus for about, for about three years, and for most of those three years, oh my goodness, the things they've seen Jesus do. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the transformational encounters he has had with people. They have seen the risks he has taken in loving other people, in loving people who are different from the disciples. He has worked miracles, amazing things he has done, they have seen it all. They have heard it all. These guys are in the inner circle. Now they're going to see Jesus marched up a hill. Now, and we beautifully sang about that. Now they're going to see Jesus nailed to the cross. They're going to see Jesus die. They're going to see Jesus put into a tomb. And so, and so the day after this teaching was probably the worst day for, all, for every one of them. You talk about grief and sorrow and sadness. But then three days later, as we so beautifully sang, what had been the worst thing became the best thing. The resurrection was transformation. It was real joy. In one miraculous moment, the disciples realized that joy doesn't Come through an exchange of circumstances. Joy comes from a change of heart. Absolutely. Has nothing, joy has nothing to do with your situation. Joy has nothing to do with your circumstance. Joy has nothing to do with what people say or do to you. Joy has nothing to do with how people treat you. Joy has nothing to do with what goes on in the world. How many times, though, do we expect joy to come from a change of circumstances? How many times? Someone once said, and I love this, expectations are nothing more than planned resentments. Uh You can write that down if you want. It's not up on the screen, though. Expectations are nothing more than planned resentments. I think sometimes the expectations are the things that do the most damage to relationships, what we expect from others. We think what we want to happen or plan to happen is going to bring joy into our lives. If only. Our world is filled with if onlys. But here's how Jesus flips that. You see, we're we're taught by Christ that joy comes through not an exchange of circumstances, but through a change of heart. Jesus teaches us that joy is in the transformed heart and mind that we bring to any circumstance. Think about that. Where is joy in your life? Joy in your life is through the transformation that happened in your heart when you came to Christ and you bring that transformation with you, wherever you're at, whatever happens. a change of heart is at the center of joy. That's joy. It's part of God's progress, process. In life, we've said it, you're going to weep. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn in life. You're going to grieve, and the day is going to come when others are going to be mourning and weeping and grieving over you. It's real. Loss and hardship, they are real, but they will turn to joy. You see, tragedies aren't replaced by joy. Tragedies turn into joy. Crucifixion and death are turned into resurrection, and that's the joy. And that's what you take with you wherever you go. You become a carrier of joy, not somebody who waits for other people or events to bring joy into your life. But man, it's already there. You're already feeling it. I love how one man puts this. It's Warren Wiersbe, he said this. This is great. The way of substitution for solving problems is the way of Immaturity. The way of transformation is the way of faith and maturity. We can't mature emotionally or spiritually if someone is always replacing our broken toys. Just let that hit you. Think of those cliched stories in TV dramedies or sitcoms where the kid loses something precious to him, say, a stuffed animal. And then the parent and the kid's not home, but it's lost or destroyed. And the parent is frantically searching to buy the replacement so the kid will never know it's been lost. What's what's wrong with helping a child mature spiritually by learning to accept the fact of broken toys, lost things, See, that's, that's what we do, though, when we're broken. We try to fix ourselves with things or relationships or busyness. But Jesus has a new kind of joy for us. He wants to take the tough things that life throws at us and turn them to joy. And Paul, everything Paul says, it's a commentary on what Jesus teaches. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death." Wow. Paul says there is joy in sharing in the sufferings of Christ because resurrection comes out of suffering and death. As Jesus goes to the cross, he he tells his disciples that his suffering will lead to his resurrection, which means sorrow gets transformed into joy And so it goes. And so it goes. The transformation happens over and over in our lives. It begins with confusion. What is God doing? I don't understand. Then there comes grief over a loss. If God's going to change me, then I'm going to have to lose some old things. That means things I don't even want to lose. See, that's where anger comes in. Sometimes that's where anger at God comes in. When I I lose something I don't think I should lose or I don't want to lose. We want to hang on to everything, but listen, we know it, right? Eventually, everything gets lost. That's life, but here's the gospel. God kindly and gently transforms what has been lost into joy. So here's something to remember. Jesus Christ wants you to know his resurrection life in every area of your life. Remember, we saw this several weeks ago, that eternal life doesn't happen after we die. Eternal life for the believer happens the moment you accept the fact that Jesus Christ is your risen Lord and Savior. You begin living eternally. And so that's the meaning, that, that's the depth of meaning to that. Here's how powerful that is. And some of you right now, we've got a couple of pregnant moms here. Both do. We've already established due in October, the greatest month of the year to be born. You'll, you'll understand this. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish <laughs> I apologize, but that's reality, right? For she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you now. A lot of you know what that means. You've been through what that means, or you'll be going through what that means. That's the transforming power of joy pain into joy when Jesus talks about joy he's handing down two universal truths about joy first universal truth is if it can't be if it can be taken then it isn't joy nobody understand nobody can take your joy from you nobody If you think you've lost something joyful in your life, it wasn't joy to begin with. It wasn't joy to begin with. It was counterfeit. If you think you've lost some joy in your life, I'm telling you right now, it was a shabby substitution. The second universal truth Jesus gives to us is true joy grows out of Jesus' presence. He says he will see us again and we will rejoice. So what happened after the crucifixion, the resurrection, they saw him again. Joy grows out of your walking with Christ, his presence in your life. Make no mistake, if you If you have your joy in your relationship with Jesus Christ, then there is nothing that can happen to you or around you that can diminish your joy or take your joy away. When your joy is in the living Christ, it is foundational to everything in your life and it brings absolute joy. It's a beautiful thing the way it works. It's a beautiful thing. Instead of See here's what the world teaches us. See we we expect the world to bring us joy. We expect other people to bring us joy. We expect our circumstances or our situations to bring us joy. But it's our hearts. Here's here's where it's at. It's our hearts that bring joy to everything. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever happens to us or around us, we are the carriers of that joy, whatever happens. Finally, a word on prayer. That's part of chapter 16. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. Again, what do we do when Jesus says truly, truly? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, I probably don't need to tell you how misused and misunderstood that passage is. We know that, right? You cannot turn on a prosperity preacher and not hear that passage abused or misused. Ask, right? Ask and you will receive. Whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Is that? Oh my gosh, oh my golly, my goodness gracious. Ask and God will give it to me. Whatever I ask, I need that extra bump in my savings account. Can I ask God for that? Because the passage says whatever. I see that new car that I desperately want to have. I ask the Father for that. Is that what Jesus means? Ask and you'll receive. Whatever you ask, the cute girl, I want her to notice me. If I ask the father, will that happen? I want my team to win the game. That's whatever I want in the moment. That's going to bring my joy. Will that happen, right? Because it says, doesn't it? It says, whatever you ask, whatever you ask. And we go through life thinking about all of our whatevers. Think about all of your whatevers in life that you would like to ask God for in Jesus' name. But see, we have to understand. Go back one page, would you, Andy? That word right there, second line, whatever. Oh, that's, that's the key word. Man, we've we got to understand that word. That word, we, we've got to understand that word, what does the whatever mean? What is whatever? Simply put, simply put, whatever. And see, we get the context from what Jesus is teaching that has happened before this. Whatever will increase your desire to know Jesus Christ. Whatever will lead to share in his sufferings, deepening your experience of eternal life with him right now. And whatever will increase the fruit of the spirit in your life. Those are the things you are praying for. That's the whatever. Whatever will increase my understanding of his sufferings, however I can suffer, whatever can happen, that I can sacrifice and suffer for the sake of knowing Christ and being a reflection of Christ in my life. That's what I'm praying for. It's not to drop those 15 summer pounds I need to drop. That's not the whatever. We have a whole lot of whatever's rolling around our brains, don't we? But we need to see what Jesus says about the whatevers. That your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. So we find our joy in seeing God's glory. That's our joy. We find joy in others seeing the manifestation of God's glory in us. When when worship is preeminent in our lives, God is glorified, and that's our joy. When we are loving each other, God is glorified, and that's our joy. When we are loving our community, God is glorified, and that is joy. When we are loving our enemies and praying for those who, pers- who persecute us, God is glorified, and that's our joy. So that's the whatever that Jesus is talking about. Whatever ha- helps us to understand, to know the sacrifice and the sufferings of Christ more. So we experience more of Christ. What do we say around here? We sing about this, right? More of God and less of me. Classic, classic definition of humility, right? Humility is not thinking of Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. More of him, less of me. And God is glorified. When we are loving and when we are joyful and when we are peaceful and when we are patient and when we are kind and when we are good and when we are faithful and when we are gentle and when we are self-controlled, God is glorified and we get joy. We get more joy in our lives. That is joy. When we love our community, God is glorified. See, those are the whatevers we ask for God in Jesus' name. That's the joy. That's the joy. Can we say amen to that? Absolutely. When you go out, when we go out from here and we're, and, we're, and we're looking for ways that we can be a reflection of Christ, when we're looking for ways that we can be patient and kind and self-controlled and sacrificial and do all those great things, when we're looking to do that, man, that's joy. We are bringing the joy of the risen Christ that's in our hearts, boom, out there. And that's always a good thing. God is glorified. I know I said just like two minutes ago, I said finally, I have one more finally. I have a final finally. And then I promise we're done. Having the security of God's peace in your life is essential to transformational joy. As Jesus says in verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart I have overcome the world. See, what is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, peace is not in your circumstances. Peace is not in your situation. Peace has nothing to do with what happens to you or around you. Peace is in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can change that fact. My wife and I have been watching a BBC series on Netflix, and it's historical fiction. It takes place in London in the late 1880s and the early 1890s. Historical fiction, it's wonderful. So, so there's, there's a scene, they weave historical f- facts and people into the fictional story. How many of you remember who Joseph Merrick was? Does his name sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, who, who was he? Elephant. He was the Elephant Man, grotesquely disfigured, and there's a scene in this program where Joseph Merrick, some, somebody is threatening to, to kill themselves. And, and they're despondent. And, and Joseph Merrick, grossly disfigured, he, he climbs up to where they are. So difficult for him to move and to climb. And he climbs up to where this man is, this despondent man. And Joseph, Joseph Merrick says, he says, look at me. He says, "Look at me." He said, "I have joy in my heart. From the outside, it may not seem like I have any reason. But he says, "I look around me and I consider my life." And he says, "I I have joy in my heart." See, that's, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about, what he wants us to bring wherever we go. Jesus has overcome the world. Your loss, and I know some of you have experienced great loss, your loss doesn't have the last word. Your depression Your discouragement don't have the last word. Natural disaster doesn't have the last word. Illness doesn't have the last word. Disease doesn't have the last word. A broken relationship doesn't have the last word. Who has the last word? Jesus Christ has the last word, and he is alive and he is in your heart. That is the joy. We're going to sing. Let's all stand and sing. And just keep in mind that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. End of story. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G